Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, and we'll be reading from chapter 3, verse 18, through to chapter 4, verse 6. We will remain standing out of honor for God's inspired word, and I'll give you a moment to turn there. 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. And as we go to the Lord together in prayer, um, I just want to mention that today we'll be praying for one of our missionary couples, and that's Ted and Kaylin Offit. And they're serving uh, with Encompass World Partners out of Atlanta, working with um, church leaders and involved in church planning efforts in Europe. So as we pray, we'll pray for them uh, today. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you together as your people, and we praise you that you have worked in our hearts, shining, just as you first said, let there be light, to give the light of the knowledge of your glory as it shines in the face of Jesus. Lord, we know that we are born dead, unable to respond to you, with hearts inclined against you. We know that if it hadn't been for your gracious work in our hearts, we would still be among those who are blinded by Satan, the God of this world. And we know that he is actively suppressing the knowledge of you all around the world. And so we just, we thank you and praise you that you have pierced through the darkness in our case and opened up the eyes of our heart to see Christ. Thank you that you've worked in our lives through all kinds of different means, godly families or a friend or a co-worker in, in whatever way it was that you first brought us towards Christ. We praise you and we thank you that we share life in him. Thank you that in Christ we have every blessing poured out richly on us, forgiveness for every sin, entrance into your kingdom, life in the new creation. We have fellowship with you. We have peace. There is grace poured out on us. We have the expectation of a glorious inheritance together. Lord, we thank you that even together as we fellowship this morning, we know that we are looking forward to endless days of joy in the new heavens and the new earth together, and that here we are just for a short time, as aliens in this world and as heavenly citizens. Lord, we praise you for these things. We ask that together uh, our minds would be drawn towards what's true and real this morning as we're confronted with the truth of your word. Lord, we, we also want to acknowledge our continued sinfulness. And we know that in so many ways our hearts drift astray and we go and wander after idols and other things. And we don't love you the way that we ought to. And so... We come again to the foot of the cross this morning and we acknowledge our need for Christ's grace. 
Thank you that there is grace for every failing and every sin, that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we do that together as your people this morning. We pray for your cleansing work. We pray for your sanctifying work, that you would continue um, here at Grace and, and all your churches around the world to do what this passage talks about, to move us from one degree of glory to the next as we fix our gaze on Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this morning that it would be exactly that way, that you would draw our eyes and our minds and our hearts towards Christ. He is beautiful, glorious, holy, lovely in every way, and your glory shines most brightly in his face. So we pray that you'd help us to see and to rejoice this morning. Lord, we also want to pray for Ted and Kaylin, and we thank you for their ministry and their, their service to you. We pray that you would bless them in all of their efforts right now, all of their involvement with church planting in different countries in Europe. We pray that you would cause um, their work to be fruitful, that you would raise up under their ministry future leaders who would be faithful to you and bold for the gospel and wherever you send them. And we pray for Ted and Kaylin and just ask for their encouragement. Uh, we pray that you would continue to draw them deeper and deeper into fellowship with you and that their lives would have that pleasing uh, fragrance and aroma to you and to others of being faithful servants of Christ. We love uh, them, and we're just so thankful for their years of service to you. Lord, we thank you for this morning to be together. We, we uh, want to just place everything in your hands. We pray that you would get glory for yourself among us here to, uh, today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Father, thank you that we, we get to sing these truths to one another, to you and to ourselves. And we ask that these would not simply be words in a song or notes in a melody, God, but that we truly would gather for one reason and one reason alone, that you might be glorified, that much would be made of Christ in our minds and in our hearts and in every part of our lives. Christ be glorified in this body of believers, we ask and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think of the most beautiful and glorious sight that you have ever beheld with your very own eyes. Some might say it's seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time. Someone might say it's flying up into the Himalayas in Nepal. Some might say it's today's sunrise. Better yet, for me, it would be seeing Angela walking down the aisle on our wedding day, seeing the births of our five children, I've seen all of the things I just mentioned, and yet the most beautiful and glorious thing that I've ever beheld, I have only seen through a glass dimly, one day, face to face. The sight of heaven, something is going to spoil any glorious thing that you behold on earth. We live imperfectly in an imperfect world. And so if you're at the Grand Canyon, you might have a migraine. If you're in the Himalayas, you might get in an accident. If you're at someone's birth, there might be someone dying right down the hall. But one day, every believer will experience perfection, unclouded, unspoiled, untainted, unhindered glory. But now, in the moment in which we live, and you coming into this place or watching on a live stream with the various things that you have in your life of pain and problems and particular issues, be they what they are, this side of heaven, everything somewhat being spoiled and knowing that it's imperfect, Today I'm going to attempt to speak of the glory of God, and I think speaking of glory to humans can feel a little like pouring salt on a wound if you're in deep pain. It might feel like talking winning to those who are losing. It might be like telling people who are sad to, you know, just be happy. That's not what I'm talking about today. It could feel like, speaking of an opulent feast to starving people, but not bringing any food to the party. And I know that. We sing the glory of God, we pray for the glory of God, we read the glory of God, we see the glory of God in Scripture, in the Gospel, and when we get these glimpses of glory, it gives us a brief relief Uh, Give shape to life lived under the sun. 
Because I know, as all of us do, life can be quite deflating. Like, we know how to tell how tough life is. And we do it often. Back in 1922, uh, Hoyt came out with a new encyclopedia of practical quotations, and there was a poem in there uh, by Edmund Vance Cook that went like this. This life's a hollow bubble, don't you know? Just a painted piece of trouble, don't you know? We come to earth to cry, we grow older and we sigh, older still and then we die, don't you know? In 1929, a newspaper in Connecticut printed a humorous poem called The Hypochondriac, subtitled The MD's Joy by Carolyn McCain. It goes like this. Doctor, doctor, hold my head, feel my pulse, and fix my bed. Doctor, doctor, I'm so ill, can't you give me one more pill? Oh, what a bitter, crucifying day, but life is hard and death will have its way, but tomorrow you shall see I'll get someone else to doctor me. Life is hard. There's t-shirt slogans. You know, people, you know, I guess, you know, spend their days figuring out what to put on a t-shirt. And here's one. Life means having to say you're sorry every five minutes. Or I used to be an idealist, but I got mugged by reality. And then this. Life's hard and then you die. One person put it this way. Giving this rapid rate of change... The increasing knowledge of risk and danger, the sense that the rules for survival no longer guarantee a good life, the commodification of all value, life is increasingly lived in a state of controlled panic. And that might be you today. And maybe it's the season you're going in, maybe you feel like it's your whole life. And now we're going to talk about the glory of God. We just sang the glory of God. We prayed for the glory of God. We've read of the glory of God. And the beauty and the glory of Christ eclipses all others, no other sight more glorious to the believer. God's glory is seen in the face of Christ, the scriptures tell us. Today what I'm going to do is attempt to explain and describe what that means and how it can affect your life. It's no secret that Christians are to love Jesus supremely, but we know we don't always love Jesus supremely. It's no secret that Christians are to love the church. We know we don't always love the church. Christians are to reach others with the gospel. We don't always reach others with the gospel. We know we get pulled by the magnet of sin, and we know that lesser things take over. We know that only Jesus can free us, and he shed his blood, and that's the basis for our forgiveness. And we know that Jesus wants to renew our life, and especially our daily living And this is why we should be pointed over and over again to the glory of Christ, to the glory and beauty of Christ. We're seeing it here in in these beautiful verses that are just jam-packed with uh, goodness in 2 Corinthians 3, 18 to 20, 18, and then uh, chapter 4, verse 6, all the way, just seven verses. The idea is that you see God's glory as you believe in and follow Jesus Christ. It gives you a view of what's eternally true. It recalibrates you. It reorients you. It helps you as you navigate this temporary life. And nothing, we know that nothing compares to the glory that will be revealed, but we are getting glimpses of God's glory, and it gives us the contours and really the shape of our hope of glory. 
And this is what Paul was getting at in, in 2 Corinthians here. Now, he wrote this letter. You know, we've airlifted ourselves into a letter here today, so I need to give you some context. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to a group of people who didn't look like us or live like us. But the human condition was just the same. They were living with the battle between truth and lies, just like we are. They were living with a matter of life and death, just like we are. They saw the contrast between death and condemnation and glory and honor, just like we do. Paul begins the letter just right off the bat about the, the, the afflictions they were going through, the, the persecutions they were going through. And he says, God is the God of all comfort. Blessed be his name because he comforts us in every affliction so that we would be comforted in Christ and then share that comfort with others. But he says, in our affliction, even with that comfort, we despaired of life. He said that in chapter 1. And then he says, this was because God wanted us to trust in him, not ourselves. And then he declares, we have set our hope on Christ. He will deliver us. Get into chapter 2, and he, he deals with some heavy church business. He says, the man that you had to put out of the church because of sin... He's repented. You need to bring him back in. You need to forgive him. The, the process worked. And then, in chapter 2, verse 14, it's like he swerves. But he swerves into the best lane. He basically puts us in a place that we need to be. He makes this hard turn, and he looks above his troubles to praise God. Second Corinthians is filled with troubles. But it's filled with praise to God. So this glory we're talking about today, this, this praise to God, this honor to God, is lived and experienced in the midst of life. Not up at a retreat on a weekend when you're feeling great and then you have to come back down. No, it's all the time. This is Wednesday. This is Wednesday living. And what he says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, if you would look at that, but you put your eyes on that verse. It says, but thanks be to God. Like he's going to reorient us all now and he makes his hard turn and looks above his troubles to praise God. It's like he's flying out of the clouds, out of polluted air, into clear air. I mean, if you fly out of this area, the L.A., Orange County area, you fly out of it, you get up into the clear air and you're like, can I breathe some of that? Can they pump some of that into the airplane here? Because I'm looking down, I'm, I, I breathe that every day? When you're flying back into this area, you're like, whoa, <laughs> That's some dark air, and I'm breathing that every day. And by the way, I love living where we live, but we've got some polluted air. I think anywhere where people live, there's going to be some polluted air. But when you get into the clear air and you're able to breathe, it's just refreshing. And this is what Paul's doing for us. The Holy Spirit's taking us into the clear air to give us some perspective, to, to say, look, look, I get what your life is like. But this is about what, what really, really matters. And this is about the things above where Christ is, seated at, at God's right hand and reigning in authority. And your pain and your hardship now can be shaped by these unseen realities. It's like Moses despairing in Exodus 33 and just crying out to God, show me your glory. So Paul turns from the difficulties and focuses on the privileges of his position in Christ. He wants us to set our 
our minds, our attention, our hearts on that. And, and what happens when you do this, and this is what happened to Paul, and it'll happen to you too when you do it, it, re, it helps you regain proper perspective on life. Think of all the things you've been thinking about, like all day, all week, all year, the things that aren't Jesus, and, and things that you just get really wrapped up in, and you're always worried about, and you're always telling people about. God wants you to regain a glorious, joyful perspective. This is how we must roll as believers. Here's what he says in verse 14. He says, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. So this is the basis beyond what, he's, what we're gonna see in, in the verses we're looking at today. But the idea is he's drawing from the imagery of a Roman ceremony where you're coming back into Rome as a conquering king and there's this parade through the streets. And he's saying, God leads us in triumph. And I'm thankful that I'm continually led by the only sovereign God. He saved me out of the miry pit of sin, and and I have victory in Christ. So he goes on then in chapter 3 and says, look, we're ministers of a new covenant, the new covenant, and our sufficiency is Christ. Paul was always getting attacked left and right from false teachers that were saying, hey, you're, you're fake. You know, you're, you're doing this for your own good. And no, Paul was fixated on the beauty and glory of Christ. And God wants us to be as well. So look with me at 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's look first at glory, just glory. 3.18, and we all with unveiled face... Beholding the glory of the Lord. The the idea is the veil once lifted remains lifted. Unveiled face. What does that mean? Where are we getting that from? Where does that come from? It comes from this chapter. It comes from the Old Testament as well. If you look back into this chapter in in chapter 3 here, but verse 6, it says that we are ministers of a new covenant that provides forgiveness of sins through the shed blood and the death and the resurrection of Christ. This was promised. This was promised back in in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, God is promising the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh, when I will make a, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And he gives five promises. After these days, declares Yahweh, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. They shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And, and Paul's saying, we're ministers of this new covenant. Saying the Holy Spirit has made us this way. But he says the letter kills, the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills in two ways. It results in living death and it results in spiritual death. But only Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, can produce eternal life in the one who believes in him. And he's saying we're ministers of this covenant. The old covenant was a ministry of death, he says in verse 7. The law is a killer. In the sense, it brings the knowledge of sin. It acts as a ministry of death because no one can satisfy the demands of the law. You can't do it. So you're, you're under condemnation because of it. But he says, but it was still glorious. 
He says it was still glorious. When God gave Moses the law, it was glorious. His glory appeared on the mountain. The law was glorious. Why? Because it it reflected God's nature. It reflected his character. It reflected his will. And when Moses got the law from God and he came down the mountain, the people that saw him could not stare at him. You know how you don't like being stared at? You couldn't stare at Moses. It would blind you. Like staring at the sun. There was this, the the, the glory of God was, was being reflected off his face. It was too bright. The glory of his countenance. It was like staring into the sun. When God manifested himself, he did so by reducing his attributes to visible light. He manifested himself this way to Moses. His face reflected the glory of God, and the people were like, we can't look at that. So they had to put a shield over their eyes so they wouldn't be blinded by it. And Paul's saying the ministry of glory is more. More glory. The ministry of the Spirit is how it's called. Ministry of the Spirit, the new covenant. And this glory that attended the giving of the law under the ministry that brought death because you found out you were a sinner and you couldn't work your way to God. How much glorious, he's saying, is the ministry of the Spirit where it's in the new covenant where Jesus did what we couldn't do. And the law was pointing to this all the time, to the superior new covenant and the glory must be superior. The law was the ministry of, of condemnation. It says in chapter 3, verse 9, another name for the ministry of death. It led you to know that you are under a sentence of death. But it says we have hope. He's like, we have hope. Yes, Moses put a veil over his face. But then he said something very significant in verse 14. And he said this, the same veil remains The same veil remained. Their minds were hardened when they read the Old Covenant. That same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Now he's talking about a spiritual covering that isn't, you can't see through it. You're blind spiritually. I was once blind, now I see. The veil is taken away in Christ. That without Christ, you can't understand the Old Testament. The Jews were saying, Paul, we don't know what you're talking about when you're tying all these things together. And then he says in verse 17, the Lord is the Spirit. Yahweh of the Old Testament is the same Lord who is saving people in the new covenant through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 18, so we all, every believer, every believer, not just Moses, not just the prophets, not just the apostles, every believer in Jesus Christ with unveiled face, the veil has been taken away. You're, not, no, you're no longer blind spiritually. That's what it's talking about. That we're seeing by faith. We're, we're believing in Jesus. That believers in the new covenant don't have something obstructing them from understanding the gospel. So he says we're beholding the glory of the Lord. Literally like in a mirror. Beholding in a mirror. What he's pointing to is the intimacy of a mirror, where you're putting something right up to look at and get a good view. Now, mirrors in in those days were were not like the kind we have. They were polished metal, so it would even give a very imperfect reflection of the person. If you're a believer today, you don't have a perfect view of God's glory now, but one day you will. You don't see a perfect representation. We see the glory in the gospel, but not fully. 
but we see the glory in Christ. I think with glory, we should probably start with a definition. The glory of God. What is the glory of God? It is his worth. It is his beauty. It is the grandeur, grandeur of his perfections. It is, it is what he displays in creating the world and what he displays in his saving acts in the new creation to make his glory known. The glory of God is woven throughout the entire Bible story, the whole narrative. It's the basis, the foundation, of, of, of the goal of, of God's cosmic narrative. It's, it's just everything points to his glory. And he communicates his glory through creation. He communicates his glory through his image bearers. He communicates his glory through his providence in, in working all things after the counsel of his will. He communicates his glory in his saving acts. If you're saved by Jesus, he, he, he showed forth his glory in saving you. Giving glory is the appropriate response to God. Psalm 29.2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. It's right to glorify God. He gets the glory, and in Christ, he shares his glory with his chosen ones. And that everything that goes on contributes to the glory of God. Uh, the glory of God is in every Bible narrative. It's in every Bible doctrine. It's in every uh, Bible story. In the Old Testament, the word for glory in Hebrew is kabod. It's, it's, the root meaning is weightiness, heaviness, honor, dignity, um, the idea of being exalted. It, it became the, the technical term for the, the manifest presence of God. Uh, the primary Greek term is doxa. It, it means his reputation, it, his praise, his honor, his fame. It refers to God manifesting himself, his person, his presence, his works, especially his power, both in judging and in saving. His glory is revealed through creation, and it's revealed in our creation in the image of God where we are said to be crowned with glory. In the Old Testament, his presence was seen in the pillar of fire and the glory filled the tabernacle. Psalm 8 says his glory is above the heavens. His glory in the Bible is an adjective, it's a noun, it's a verb. He is glorious, adjective. He reveals his glory, noun, is to be glorified, verb. He is glorious in his perfections. He is glorious in who he is. He is magnificent. He is beautiful. His intrinsic glory is then partially communicated in his works of creation, in, in providence, in, in redemption, in, and then in the consummation of the ages, in the new heavens and the new earth. Peter refers to the Father as the Father of glory, the majestic glory. His glory is seen as his self-sufficiency, in his, in his majesty, in his beauty, in his, his splendor. He is called the King of glory, the God of glory, the Father of glory. Jesus is referred to as the Lord of glory and the glorious Lord. God is, is most identified with his glory in Christ. In his incarnation, it came with glory. In his birth, it came with glory. At Jesus' birth, the, the glory of of God shines. The, the heavenly host responds with glory to God in the highest. The shepherds glorify and praise God. The glory of God is seen in Christ's miracles. Even when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, this is for the glory of God. It, we see it in his transfiguration. We see it in his suffering. 
We see it in his crucifixion. We see it in his resurrection. We see it in his exaltation. We see it in his ascension. We see it in his present reign. Stephen had the vision in Acts 7 of Jesus reigning in glory. We see it in his coming. We see it in his victory. We see it in his judgment. We see it in him choosing and adopting and redeeming and sealing believers to the praise of the glory of his grace in Ephesians. Jesus was taken up in glory. Believers will be raised in glory. Faithful elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. The Bible is filled with doxologies, praises to God, commands to praise God, Romans 16, 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. We are commanded as the people of God to glory in Christ, in his cross, in suffering by virtue of our union with Christ. We're commanded to glorify God in our bodies. We're commanded to glorify God in our choices and relationships. We're glorifying God even commanded to in the exercise of of our spiritual gifts. In Romans 14 and 15, it, it tells us the church displays the glory of God in unity. And the Gentiles see it and praise God. Glory is the goal. Glory is the goal of all of God's attributes, all of God's perfections, who he is. Uh, The glory of God is his infinite beauty and greatness of all his perfections. We can't tell it. You know, you can think, well, what about that, that statue of Jesus in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil? That Christ the Redeemer statue, 152 feet tall, like 92 feet wide, you know, that's towering over the city. Even that does barely even tell. The glory of God stands alone. The glory of God towers over all. God is a God of glory, and we must give him the honor due him. And this is what the Bible consistently tells us. But here's an interesting thing. The rest of this, this passage gives the effects of the glory of God the effects of the glory of God as we behold the glory of God. Here are the the three effects that are shown. Transformation of the believer, a revelation of the blindness of the unbeliever, and a proclamation of the gospel, the glorious gospel. You see it in transformation, revelation, and proclamation. You see it first in transformation. In verse 18, it says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Progressive sanctification, a progressive being formed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. Glory, glory, glory. And you're like, wait a minute, time out. My life doesn't feel very glorious. This is the truth of the position of a believer in Christ. With all your pain, with all your problems, with all the particular issues that you are dealing with, this is the truth about you if you are in Christ. That we are beholding, and it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, we are beholding by the Spirit through the Word of God the, the, the glory of God, that we are then being transformed from glory to glory, that you see Jesus, the image of God, and you don't become God, you become like Christ. It's from the Spirit of God. You're being transformed. It's talking about a continual, progressive transformation of life, like Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the Spirit, through the Word into the same image as you gaze upon the glory of Christ. You are continually being transformed into Christ's likeness. And, and here's the thing. Remember that this is all, this is all permeated with the pain of being a believer and living in this world of woe. And I hope 
in your lowest time, you would say, I, I understand the glory of God in the gospel and Christ is with me. And, and in your highest time, that you wouldn't say, wow, I got myself here, but only for the glory of God. That, and then everything in between, that you'd be able to experience the glory of God. Paul said, we all with unveiled face. In the middle of all of it, in the middle of despairing of life, in the middle of being in a, a jar of clay, a, a, a broken, baked piece of clay that keeps breaking and cracking and having issues. And there's the contrast. The glory of God in jars of clay that are these frail bodies that we live in. Go on past this passage and you look at chapter four, verse seven. It's like we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not, not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. From one level of glory to another level of glory, while you grow in your knowledge of God, and the more he re- he's revealed in your life, and the more you apply the gospel to your life, and to your situation. And to the people around you. It's like a mirror reflecting an image. But, but I know how we all are. I'm like this, you're like this. We are always looking for something we don't think we have. Even in the Christian life, like, I need something more. I need something deeper. And it's right there in front of you. You realize what you wanted was right there in front of you. You realize what God gave you was right there in front of you. You need to look in the mirror. You need to look in the word of God. You need to see the glory of God in the gospel. You need to remind yourself of the gospel and and not keep looking for something that you think you need when God has given you all his glorious riches in Christ. The wonderful freedom that God gives us in the gospel is access that we have to look upon Christ by faith in the middle of everything in life with the help of the Holy Spirit And the result of looking to Christ is greater conformity to the image of Christ. You will become, and you have become, and you are becoming what you fix your heart and mind upon. So the glory of God ought to motivate you to diligently pray. The glory of God ought to motivate you to diligently prepare to worship with the church. The glory of God ought to prepare you to resolve to take the preaching of the word to heart. And to let those things that you are burdened by and worried about and so concerned over and not dealing with in a gospel way, let that be recalibrated so that you look first to Christ. You look at his glory and say, okay, now how does this, how does this work out? See, the glory of God transforms the church by his spirit, through his word, and it gives you courage to live life. Look at verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, because of all of what I just said, having this ministry by the mercy of God, the mercy of God that alleviates the misery that sin brings, the mercy of God that holds back the wrath of God against your sin, that put the wrath of God on Christ at the, God, at the cross and can extend to you the gospel offer because of his shed blood. He says, because we have this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And we kind of think of that word as like, oh yeah, I kind of gave up a little bit there. I need a little pep talk. That's not what this ver- that word is saying. It's a very strong word in the Greek. To lose heart means to surrender as a coward. 
And that's not how Paul responded to the continual attacks he faced. He strengthened, he was strengthened in the Lord as he trusted God to strengthen him. That's what God wants from you and I. He says, it's the ministry of the Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 8. It's the ministry of righteousness. Chapter 3, verse 9. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Chapter 5, verse 18. Even in suffering. And what does it do? It fosters a godly approach to life. Look at verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Literally, we've renounced the things because of shame, the things hidden because of shame. We have turned away from those things. We have repented of those things. Shame means what is ugly. Shame means what is disgraceful. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame. That's your secret sins. That's your hypocrisies. That's the things hidden deep within your heart that you don't want anyone to see, and God sees, and he wants you to repent of those things. He says, we have renounced those things. At salvation, every believer repents and turns away from such sins and devotes their life to God and then continues to do that throughout their life as a Christian. Paul says we're not tampering with the word of God. We're not we're refusing to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. He says we're not tampering with the evidence here. We're not handling it deceitfully. The Greek there to, mean, to, uh, to tamper with, it's literally the dishonest practice back then of diluting wine with water to make more money. And the false teachers were saying to Paul, you're a deceiver. You're bringing us crazy ideas about Jesus and the Old Testament, and oh, you're wrong. Back in chapter 2, in verse 17, Paul said, we are not like many, literally not like all the rest, not as most teachers and philosophers that were operating by human wisdom, peddling the word of God. He says, we don't, we don't peddle the word of God. We don't corrupt it. We're not con men who by cleverness are trying to take people in and sell as genuine a cheap imitation. You know how you feel when you get that leather couch that ends up being plastic. You know how when you get that thing that was supposed to be genuine and it starts flaking off. It's not real. Someone took you in. Paul is saying, we are resisting clever, deceptive rhetoric. We're not going to give a poisoned message. This is what the pagans did. This is what the pagans do. We're going to go off of paganism and tradition. That's what they do, and they just mix it up and mash it up, and they put a little bit of truth in. Well, how much, how much poison is good for the, in the baby food? They seek personal profit. They seek prestige at the expense of the gospel truth in people's souls. And Paul says, we are not like this. We ought never to be like this. He says, no, instead we commend ourselves to your consciences like our ministry and our life is on display our words and our deeds match up you know oftentimes when we hear of something prohibited in the bible we think there's people doing that and we point outward how many times do we say lord is it i when was the last time you asked lord am i the one causing the trouble lord is it i just like when they were there in the the last supper they're all going around jesus said hey, someone's going to betray me and everyone says is, is it me Paul's saying we're not going to add frill and glitter to the word of God. That's a temptation of anybody taking up the word of God and sharing it with anyone else. We want to say something that no one else has ever heard before. What God wants us to do is say what he has said as he opens ears to hear. There's a transformation that goes on. And it reaches down into the way you live. 
But there's also a revelation that happens in verses 3 and 4. You see it. Exposing unbelievers' blindness, revealing their blindness. They're blinded by Satan. He says in verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, if it's covered up, if it can't be seen, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, he says, in their case. So everyone who's perishing, this is what's happening. The God of this world, Satan, the, the deceiver, the hater of good, the father of lies, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you are working with unbelievers right now and you, you, get, you, you let yourself get on these rabbit trails of, well, there's hypocrites in the church and the church isn't doing, it needs to do better and this, that, and the other, oh, you are off point. You need to point them to Jesus. Don't point them to people. Point them to Jesus. When they try to get you off point, point them to Jesus. They need Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the glory of God. And it says here that the, the Satan keeps them from seeing the light of the, of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this age, Satan, is instigating the current worldview that was back then and now in terms of thoughts and ideas and goals and hopes of the majority of people, the world's philosophies that get adopted in education, in business, in every area of life, and they get wrecked by Satan's influence. And if, 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 if you don't believe that, you got blinders on. Satan has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. Satan blinds people to the truth. Without a godly influence, without hearing the gospel, without seeing the gospel, people are going to follow after lies. It panders to depravity. Like Unbelievers love to hear lies and deepens into their darkness. They can't see Christ who is the image of God. Jesus is the exact representation of the, of the nature of God, of God himself. He is the exact imprint of his nature, as Hebrews 1 says. Now, if you go back to chapter 2 with me, if you will, to verse 14 again when he started this whole thing and he said, thanks be to God. I want you to notice something. He says, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession because Christ has triumphed over sin and the grave. But he says this, that he always spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are, verse 15, the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Verse 16, the one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. What he's saying is, if you're dealing with someone who believes, they love the gospel. If you're dealing with someone who doesn't believe, they hate the gospel. And to you, you, to them, you are a stench of death. And so is the gospel. So when you are, you know, hugely un disliked or even hated because you bring the gospel with a loving attitude, just know they hate God. And they hate you because you love God. And you're a stench of death. It says to one a fragrance from death to death. To the other a fragrance from life to life. If you're a believer, you're, you're transformed by God to be a gospel influence. That's your life. And then, and then go be a doctor, lawyer, plumber, mom, dad. Be everything God wants you to be. But what you're first and foremost is an ambassador for Christ. And, and he says, to, we're, we're the fragrance of Christ. It pleases God. And then he says this, but we're not sufficient for this. 
way above our pay grade. We should never think we've got this wired. We, this is too much for us. No one in their own strength can do this. We're not adequate. We're not competent to serve God in the ways that he desires and with the power that he gives. Oh, we can only do it in Christ. And then you get back to the idea that he says, well, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It's a very dangerous thing not to believe in the Son of God. The wages of sin is death. It's condemnation. It's very possible for you to be very successful in business, to be an expert politician, to be an eminent scientist, to be a great thinker, and be blinded to spiritual truth. As the scriptures say, You have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babies. One old writer put it this way, poor ignorant men often find the door to heaven and enter in while the learned are looking for the latch. It could be. I don't know who's going to hear this sermon. I know you're here with us and there's people watching online. Maybe someone finds this next week. I don't know. But all I know is there could be some of you who are blinded by Satan, and you, you look like you're a Christian. You don't want to tell anyone that you're blind by Satan, but when you hear the gospel, it smells like death to you. How could that happen? How could that be? Well, it's it, it spelled out for us. Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving. And it could be that you're blinded because of utter worldliness, like you have just adopted every aspect of the world, and you don't want to reject anything. It's all good to you. Maybe you're blinded because you love a certain sin. You won't let it go. You love it too much. Maybe you're objecting to truth. Maybe you're like, I don't want that. I don't want anyone to know I don't want it, but I don't want it. Maybe you're making fatal assumptions about God. Maybe you're saying, well, the God I believe in wouldn't do that even after you read it in the Bible and you know that God is good and kind and right and true and beautiful and and lovely and wrathful and just. And everything he does is absolutely balanced and, and works together. And that Jesus Christ is all sufficient. Maybe you're blinded because you just have pride. And you will not confess your sins. Jesus Christ is all sufficient. That's what I have to say to you. Jesus Christ is all sufficient. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus. Alexander Grossi said this once. When Christ reveals himself, there is satisfaction in the slenderest portion like if you had nothing. But without Christ, there is emptiness in the greatest fullness. You could have everything this world desires, and if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. With Christ, you have everything. Without him, you have nothing. If God did not reveal himself to the believer and bless us, we would be utterly lost and we would stay spiritually blind. It's like when there was only one ark to save people from drowning. There's only one Jesus to save people from damning. And God is sovereign in salvation through the preaching of the word of God, the foolishness of preaching the word of God because it's foolishness to a lot of people. The preaching of the word of God and the general call of the gospel And God commands the light of the glorious gospel to shine in the hearts of some hearers 
through the effectual call of the gospel. And all I can say is, don't say what? I just have a question for you. Have you experienced the gospel in your heart? And do you love it? And do you love Christ? And is it, is it, is it the aroma of life for you? Or do you continue to have your eyes blinded by Satan? And you experience the light of the gospel, the glory of God in Christ. You are brought to a knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, seeing by believing, which leads to proclaiming. What you love, you talk about. It drives gospel proclamation. That's an effect of the glory of God. Look at verse five. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We're third-rate galley slaves. We're nothing. Jesus is everything. We don't preach ourselves. When you delight in the all-glorious God, it leads you to proclaim the all-glorious God. It's the root behind you growing and serving and blessing when he talks about this ministry we have. This is not something you add to a list of righteous deeds. You just, you just tell people about your loving Heavenly Father. You just tell people about your beautiful Savior. It's, it's the ground and source of your living as a Christian. You, you were, if you're a believer, you were made for this. You were made to enjoy the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So fill your mind with that. Fill your mind. At your lowest point, fill your mind with that. At your highest point, fill your mind with that so you don't become despairing, so you don't become prideful. That, that, that Jesus must be most glorious to you. And when Jesus is most glorious to you, you would never dare to promote yourself. You would never dare to proclaim yourself. You would say, no, he is all glorious, so I am not. I am not. And so when, when he is all glorious to you out of an overflowing heart, you will share him. You know, if you're a believer, you know that nothing could overcome the darkness of the sin in your life and in your heart but the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You have to settle for that and that alone. You have to speak of that and that alone. You have to set your eyes on that and nothing less. Prize flower of Reformation thought is the first question to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Boiled down to one crisp answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Those are inseparable truths. You were made and you were saved to glorify God. Christ suffered for you that he would bring you to God, that you were saved from the wrath of God to be kept by God as his own forever for the glory of God, for from him and and to him and through him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. You are forgiven in Christ to find your joy in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ and rescued from death for the only true life of knowing him. It it transforms everything about what what you do in life and how you live it. When when the preeminent one is preeminent in your thoughts and your heart, and then the treasure of the gospel becomes the treasure of your life, and you share what you're captivated by. You speak of what you're captivated by. Verse 6. For God, here we are back with glory. For God, who said, this is God the creator, Genesis 1-3, let light shine out of darkness. 
has shown in our hearts the God of the new creation to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You need, you need in every aspect of life, this, this should cover everything, you need to see God's full revelation of himself in the scriptures to see his glory in the face of Christ. That you need today to see and savor the glory of God in your times of joy and in your times of pain. I learned the hard way that sin leaves a scar. And I learned the glorious way that Jesus removes the stain. You see God's glory as you believe in and follow Jesus Christ. You behold his glory. You're transformed progressively as you go along with him. It reveals the blindness of those who do not believe. And then you go on and proclaim Samuel Rutherford once said, they lose nothing who gain Christ. He said, since Christ looked upon me, my heart is not my own. He ran away to heaven with it. I learned the hard way about something kind of silly in life, but it left a mark on me. Fig leaves cause a rash and a burn and scars. This summer, I went in my backyard. It was a hot day, so I took my shirt off. Don't imagine that, please. And uh, I cut down a fig tree, a big fig tree, and I, got, I was just touching fig leaves a lot. And I started itching, started getting a rash in a lot of places that was uncovered. And I said to Angela, something's wrong. I think I need to go to the doctor. Then I Googled fig leaves. Turns out you shouldn't be messing with them. Who would have known? Eat the figs. They're great, but don't mess with the fig leaves. Just the other day, I... Brushed into some, and I got something else on my hand. I'm, I'm telling you, it leaves a scar. It leaves a mark. Sin leaves a scar. Skin le- sin leaves a mark. But guess what? Glory marks you. Jesus says over the Christian, mine. You're mine. You don't belong to Satan. You belong to me. And so if you're a young child, if you're a student, if you're, if you're single, if you're married, if you're widowed, if you're old, if you're young, if you're wayward if you're wandering if you're wondering about the faith if you're resolved to live to please god if you're sincere if you're growing uh, if you're rejoicing in christ fix your heart on the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of christ you will find you will rejoice in hope of the glory of god you will find that you will rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory lord we thank you that while we see through a glass dimly, one day we will see face to face. Lord, I thank you that your glory never fades. Our appreciation of it does, our comp- comprehension of it does, and we need to be refilled. We're clouded by this world, Lord. We're sometimes not able to see the realm of the unseen, and we get clouded by all the things going on in life. Lord, give us eyes to see. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in the gospel. Free the prisoners, Lord. Free those that are in shackles from sin. May, they, may, they, may you open their eyes that they would see 
your glory in Christ in the gospel. And every believer, may you strengthen us, Lord, to serve you, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. When we come to the Lord's table, that sobers us up very quickly. If you didn't know we were doing the Lord's table, even right this moment, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, I am not glorious. But I want you to think about how glorious Christ is, even to die for us, even to give us this table. Before he went and died for us and said, he said to his followers, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it. Drink it in remembrance of me. This is for believers. This is for people who have been freed from Satan. These are, this is for people who God has opened your eyes to the light of the, 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 the glory of God in Christ and you, you love the gospel and you love Jesus. And sure, you fail and you're imperfect and that's because you're not glorious. You will be one day fully glorious. But even now, we see the glimpses of glory. We see it in our lives. We see it in our friends. We see it in our family, in Christ. And every believer, when they come to the table, they're thinking, oh boy, I'm not glorious. I need to confess my sins. That's why the Bible so clearly says, examine yourself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, even says as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves where glory resides, where true life is found. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'll do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your glory in the gospel, in our lives. Thank you that you continue to open blind eyes, that you continue to rescue people from Satan's schemes. And thank you, Lord, that you are the God of glory. And Lord, we do this in obedience to you until you come again or take us home, whichever comes first. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us as we close?
Join us tonight for Thanksgiving Praise Gathering, 5 p.m. here at Grace. Be a beautiful time of fellowship and testimonies and singing and the word and a slideshow and a bunch of things. And we're going to celebrate God's faithfulness and we'll have really good food and dessert as well. So 5 p.m. tonight. So let's close with Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. And now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, so